0: This is a Scream Queen production. Carpenter. Happy True Crime Tuesday, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that fascinates me so much. I had to find a way to tie it back to Michigan so that I could cover it on the podcast. As you guys know, I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to the supernatural, legends, stuff like that. But for some reason, I am fascinated by curses I did a bonus episode last year on the Titanic curse uh, last year, about this time, actually. But beyond that, we haven't really talked about curses on the podcast. Uh, That all changes today, though, because we're going to talk about the curse of April. T.S. Eliot once wrote, April is the cruelest month, and there's really no simpler way to put it. The month of April, more specifically the second half of April, has been host to so many catastrophic events over the years, it goes far beyond coincidence and has even sparked rumors of a curse. Which, my birthday is at the end of April, so this time of year has always been a happy time for me. Well, that's not entirely true. Someday I'll tell you about the absolute trauma of my 16th birthday, but that's another episode. that that's a story for another day. Uh, but if you follow any of the, you know, on this day in history, pages on social media or websites or anything like that, you might have noticed that as we get into the fourth month of the year, it brings a lot more than just April showers. It brings mass shootings, Terrorist attacks, natural disasters, even the devil himself. And this was how the whole Curse of April thing actually came to my attention. I just kind of noticed one day on my own, it was, you know, a post about the anniversary of yet another tragic event. And I kind of realized shit. I've been seeing a lot of these within the past few days. Like really recently, I've been seeing a whole lot of these. So I started to do a little bit of research, and I was pretty shocked by how much I found. So there is a lot to cover today. Honestly, this should just be its whole own podcast if anybody wants to take that project on. Uh, I don't have time for it, but... We're going to just jump right in. I'm going to go down a chronological list first, and then we're going to talk about how some of these events have Michigan connections. But before we get into another dead time story, I do want to tell you guys why I'm in such a good mood this morning. It's because I had one of my favorite foods for breakfast, and I don't even have to feel guilty about it. I love cereal. Most of you know that about me. I did a whole podcast about cereal. I even wrote a book about cereal, which is coming out this summer. But I'm also in my 40s now, so I'm trying to eat healthier, and Magic Spoon is helping me do that. It's the cereal we all grew up loving, but without all that bad stuff. There are 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving of Magic Spoon, Uh, only 140 calories per serving. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And somehow, it still tastes good. There are so many great flavors and the Variety Pack is a great way to try a little bit of everything. There are four flavors in the Variety Pack. There's cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They are all delicious. I'm partial to the fruity myself, but they're all good. But more than anything, I love that I can have a bowl of cereal in the morning to satisfy my inner child without feeling guilty. Because who wants to start their morning with a big bowl of guilt? Don't just take my word for it, though. Go to magicspoon.com slash so dead and try it for yourself. Order a variety pack, throw in a box of blueberry or cinnamon along with it, just go crazy. And be sure to use promo code so dead at checkout to save $5 on your first order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash so dead and use promo code sodad that's S-O-D-E-A-D, all one word, no spaces, to get $5 off. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. All right, now let's get down to business. The month of April. Here in Michigan, it typically starts out pretty rough cold, wintry, everything's still dead and brown from winter, but spring starts poking through eventually. The sun starts coming up earlier and going down later. Temperatures rise, lawns turn green again, trees and flowers start blooming, and then the killing starts. There are 30 days in April, so the middle of the month is the 15th. The 15th is also tax day, which is dreaded by every American that owes federal income tax. It's the day our returns and payments are due to avoid a penalty. And that's what makes the news every year. It's tax day, it's tax day. But April 15th is also the anniversary of a whole lot of bad shit. On April 15th, 1865, 56-year-old Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States, died from a gunshot wound sustained the night before. On April 14th, Lincoln attended a showing of the play Our American Cousin with his wife Mary Todd Lincoln at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. During the show, at approximately 10.15 p.m., actor and Confederate spy John Wilkes Booth snuck into Lincoln's theater booth, crept up behind him, and fired one shot into the back of the president's head, mortally wounding him. Lincoln died about 9 hours later at 7:22 a.m. on April 15th. Exactly 47 years later on April 15th, 1912, the unsinkable luxury liner Titanic sank in the North Atlantic taking over 1,500 souls to the ocean floor right along with it. Last year, Sodad's 50th episode was all about Michigan's connections to Titanic, so Go listen to that if you haven't, because I am not saying all that again. (laughs) I heard you did it. And that's all I've got to say about that one. Uh, 15 years later, on April fifteenth, 1927, which was Good Friday, in fact, 15 inches of rain fell in New Orleans in under 18 hours, overwhelming the Mississippi River and its levees and dams, which had already swelled to dangerous levels following months of record rainfall. The floodgates opened, literally, burying 27,000 square miles of the Mississippi Delta region under up to 30 feet of water in some areas. Over 250 people were killed, while more than 750,000 residents, that's three quarters of a million people, were permanently displaced by the flood. It took more than two months for the floodwaters to permanently subside, and the landscape of the area was forever changed. The Great Mississippi River flood of 1927 remains America's greatest peacetime disaster. So basically our biggest oh-fuck moment that wasn't caused by a war. Also on April 15th, a full 86 years later, in 2013, The world watched in horror as the Boston Marathon bombing unfolded on live television. The Boston Marathon is the world's oldest annual marathon and dates back to 1897. It is typically held on the third Monday in April. While the very first Boston Marathon only had 15 participants, there are now about 30,000 participants every year and half a million spectators, 500,000 people, show up to watch other people run. So, that's a thing. So, there were people everywhere on April fifteenth, two 2013, when, at 2.49 p.m., two homemade pressure cooker bombs were detonated near the finish line, sending shrapnel in all directions. Three people were killed, and over 250 others were seriously injured, including 17 who lost limbs. The perpetrators were Chechen-American brothers Zokar and Tamerlan Tsarnaev, who were 19 and 26, respectively, at the time. Their stated motive was retribution for U.S. military action in Afghanistan and Iraq. Three days after the bombing, images of the brothers were released by the FBI. During an attempt to apprehend the domestic terrorists, 27-year-old MIT patrol officer Sean Collier was shot and killed, and a civilian was kidnapped when the brothers stole his car. A shootout with police ensued, and older brother Tamerlan was shot several times, though that was not what killed him. It might have if it had had time to, but he was still alive when his brother, Zokar, panicked and ran over Tamerlan in the stolen car to get away. Zokar escaped. Tamerlan died on the scene. The following day, Zokar was found hiding in a covered Boat. I think it was a fishing boat, if I'm remembering correctly, but it was a boat that was like sitting in someone's backyard because it wasn't being used yet, and he was hiding inside it under the cover in Watertown, Massachusetts. Zokar engaged in another gunfight with police when they showed up. This time he was wounded, not killed, but he was wounded and he was taken into custody. Zokar Sarnaev was convicted of 30 charges, including using a weapon of mass destruction and malicious destruction of property resulting in death. He was sentenced to death, but in July 2020, his sentence was overturned due to potential juror bias, and he is currently awaiting a new trial. Just his sentence was overturned, though, not his guilty verdict. So he wasn't released or anything crazy like that. He won't be. Um, He's just being resentenced, possibly to death again or possibly to life in prison. Today, he is 27, so either way, he's still got a long way to go. Six years later, on April 15, 2019, the iconic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France, built in the 1100s, that's the 1100s, went up in flames. No one was killed. Uh, three people received non-life-threatening injuries. Most of the super important artifacts were saved, like... Jesus' crown of thorns and the cross he was crucified on. The fire was ruled to be an accident, most likely the result of some sort of electrical short. But yeah, so April 15th is the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's death, the sinking of Titanic, the Great Mississippi River flood, the Boston Marathon bombing, and the Notre Dame fire. That is a lot of really big history for one day, and we've still got lots of days left to talk about. April 16th is the day after April 15th if you guys didn't know that. Um <laughs> it's not quite as no- I don't know why I said that. It's not quite as noteworthy as April 15th, but April 16th is still a pretty fucking deadly day. April 16th, 1947 saw an event called the Texas City Disaster. Now, I had never heard of this before I started doing this research, so I actually almost left this one off my list because I was like, "Eh, that's not a big one, whatever it is. I'm not going to do that. I'm so glad I looked into it because this is a crazy one and I can't believe I've never heard of it. Um, Texas City is, wait for it, a city in Texas. (laughs) It's located on the Gulf Coast in Galveston Bay. It is a busy deep water port city with a population of about 50,000. Its main port is called the Port of Texas City. At least they were practical with their names, if not creative at all. The port serves both the Port of Houston and the Port of Galveston. So in Texas City, Texas, there's a port called the Port of Texas City, which is used by the Port of Houston and the Port of Galveston. That's a lot of ports and a lot of cities, and now I'm just confused. But here's the important part. At around 8 a.m. on April 16, 1947, smoke was seen coming from the cargo hold of a ship docked at the port of Texas City. That ship contained over 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate, a component commonly used in fertilizer and mining explosions. This might surprise you guys, but I am not a scientist or a chemist, but I do have Google, so let me tell you about ammonium nitrate. By itself, it's not an explosive, but in the right, or I guess the wrong, setting, it can act as an accelerant, meaning put it next to some shit that's explosive and light everything on fire and the ammonium nitrate is going to make the explosion a hundred times more powerful. And some of you will probably remember this. My husband actually mentioned it while I was doing my research. I had forgotten about it, but then I, you know got the brain wheels turning. And I remembered uh, last summer, there was a huge explosion in Beirut at a cargo port. There were tons of videos of the blast. The one I'm remembering was like of a wedding party taking photos and they all literally just got like blown off their feet. It legit looked like an entire city just exploded. Like suddenly all at once, it was crazy. Close to 100 people died. Thousands were injured. Do you guys remember that? That was ammonium nitrate. 2,700 tons of it. So I guess if you're trying to picture the scene in Texas City I'm about to describe, picture that. So this ship, the SS Grand Camp, that is parked at the... Parked? Do you call a ship parked? Docked? There we go. I need there. Was a word. It was docked at uh, the port of Texas City. Uh, the ship catches fire, likely due to a discarded cigarette, they believed. And if the boat had only been loaded with ammonium nitrate, it might have been a manageable fire. But the ship was also carrying small arms ammunition, and bales of twine. So like fire starter. Explosives, fire starter, and fire accelerant. So ammunition, that's an explosive. The twine, highly flammable. And then there's the ammonium nitrate on deck to make everything a thousand times worse. So fire ensues. The fire department came out. They are fighting the fire from the deck because deck, the deck. They are fighting the fire from the dock. There's this strange yellow and orange smoke that starts pouring out of the ship that I guess is common with ammonium nitrate fires. Who knew? I didn't know. The water around the ship started literally boiling, boiling. The ocean is boiling. So this draws spectators. People are coming. You know, they're they're safe. The boat is in the water on fire. They're on land. Um, The fire's not going to come all the way across the water to get to them. So they think that they're observing what's happening from a safe distance, right? Wrong. At 9.15 a.m., the combination of explosives, accelerants, and flammable materials aboard the SS Grand Camp reached a deadly crescendo, and the ship blew up. And when I say blew up, we're talking action movie explosion. The ship's entire crew was killed, 27 of the 28 members of the Texas City Volunteer Fire Department who were fighting the blaze from land were all killed. The one member that survived only survived because he wasn't there. He didn't respond to the initial fire call. So literally all of the firefighters that were there in the beginning died when the ship blew up. All of those spectators that were on land, they thought, watching from a safe distance, gone. Two sightseeing airplanes that were flying over the bay were literally blown out of the sky. The 6,000-ton steel ship quite literally flew into the sky, so the ship exploded with such force that the ship itself went up into the sky. The anchor landed all the way across town. Could you imagine seeing a ship anchor just flying through the air? How insane. Over a 1,000 buildings were destroyed. Windows in houses over 10 miles away were blown out. And that was just the beginning. One of the buildings that exploded was the Monsanto Chemical Company plant, which, bad news, even back in the 1940s, as it turns out. Uh, refineries and chemical tanks on the water burned and exploded. Other ships caught fire including the nearby cargo ship High Flyer, which was full of more ammonium nitrate and sulfur. That ship, too, exploded, blowing one of the propellers a full mile inland. So, basically, every new thing that caught fire wound up exploding, and every explosion added to the devastation and the death toll. The official death toll from the Texas City disaster was 567, But those were just the bodies that were identifiable and the people that they knew were supposed to be there. We're talking about an explosion at sea. So there were remains that were never recovered or remains that just didn't exist at all due to the violence of the explosion. You hear the saying like blowing something to smithereens like that's what happened. There were, you know, shipping crews that were just kind of passing through undocumented workers, tourists, all these people that they wouldn't have had record of that were supposed to be there that they could go check and say, hey, is this person okay? Did they make it? You know, So there could have been quite a few more victims than the official count of 567. Over 5,000 people were injured. Nearly half of those injured badly enough to require hospitalization. 2,000 people were left homeless Over a 1,000 vehicles were destroyed. Uh, The property damage was estimated at $100 million. That's in 1947 money, so that would be over a billion dollars today. Firefighters came from all over the country, and it actually took over a week to put all of the fires out. Body recovery of what they could recover took a full month. The Texas City Disaster is considered the worst industrial disaster in American history and one of the world's biggest non-nuclear explosions. And I had never heard of it. What about, seriously, like, had you guys ever heard of this one? i had never heard of it. This is what I get for being so obsessed with my local history. But there you go. It happened crazy, terrible, and it happened on the 16th of April. Exactly 60 years later, on April 16, 2007, another bloody tragedy unfolded on the other side of the country. The Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, or Virginia Tech for short, is a public land-grant research university in Blacksburg, Virginia. Enrollment is upwards of 25,000 students, so that's a pretty big school. One of the students enrolled at Virginia Tech in 2007 was Sung Hui Cho, a South Korean immigrant with a host of disorders, including severe anxiety and depression and selective mutism. There were people who knew him from church and from school who would later say that they had never heard him say a single word, even though he absolutely could talk. He just didn't. Cho was an undergrad in the business information technology program. He had trouble with his professors and classmates, and he was not a cool dude. And by that, I mean he did a lot of really fucked up shit. At the top of that list was idolizing the Columbine shooters and fantasizing about creating another Columbine, something that he voiced to people quite often. And on April 16th, 2007, that is exactly what he did. With a 22 caliber semi-automatic handgun and a 9mm semi-automatic Glock, Cho murdered 32 classmates and faculty members and injured 17 others before taking his own life. The Virginia Tech Massacre is the worst school shooting in American history, but not the worst school massacre in American history. We still hold that title here in Michigan with the Bath school bombing. Oddly, Cho seemed to draw inspiration from the Bath Massacre, which took place 80 years earlier. In his manifesto, authorities found the phrase, Criminals are made, not born, which is the same phrase that Bath School bomber Andrew Kehoe painted on a sign that was hung on the fence on his property before he went on his rampage. So for April 16th, we've got just the two events, but those are pretty big ones. The worst industrial disaster in American history and the worst school shooting in American history. Onward to the 17th of April. So April 17th, 1961 brought us the disastrous Bay of Pigs invasion, which didn't take place in the U.S. It took place in Cuba, but it was entirely our fault. I'm going to dumb this one down, not for you, but for me. So take a walk with me through the children's version of this story, won't you? Well, the children's version with swear words. So yeah. In 1958, We were all up in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Tensions were high. We were in a war of words and ideologies, with the threat of actual war looming constantly overhead. One of our allies was Cuba. It was nearby. We liked their president. We owned half their shit. Things were going well for us. Uh... For us, not necessarily for Cubans. So on January 1st, 1959, a young Cuban nationalist by the name of Fidel Castro and his guerrilla army overthrew the Cuban administration, took over, and Castro aligned his country with the Soviets. And we Americans were not having that. Cuba was too close to America to be a Soviet ally. And, like, they couldn't just toss out the president we liked and install their own guy to run their own country. What kind of nonsense is that? So we made a problem that wasn't our problem. Our problem. Under the direction of good old JFK, the CIA began recruiting Cuban exiles loyal to the former regime for a super soldier program of sorts, minus the Steve Rogers. Their mission? To overthrow Fidel Castro. 1,400 Cuban exiles were recruited, trained, and funded by the United States government to carry out a super top-secret mission. On the 17th of April, the rogue army launched their attack at Cuba's Bay of Pigs on its southern shore. The mission was doomed from the start. For one thing, there were 1,400 of them. Whereas Castro's army, militia, and police force made for a combined total of about 234,000 people. 1,400 versus 234,000. I don't know why they thought this was going to work. Then, Coral Reef sank several of the rebel outfit's ships before they even made it to land. There was a radio station on the beach near where the invasion began that they somehow missed Uh, When they were doing their pre-invasion research, they didn't notice that there was a radio station right on the beach that they invaded that was able to broadcast everything that was happening to everybody in Cuba. Like, what? Additionally, hundreds of the rebel paratroopers landed at the wrong location. It was just a mess a mess that Castro's army was quick to clean up. The CIA's hired guns surrendered after less than a day, but not before hundreds of them were wounded and or killed. The remaining 1,100 insurgents were captured by Castro's army. Some were executed, but most of them were imprisoned. Castro originally offered to turn the prisoners back over to the U.S. in exchange for 500 farm tractors. Benny decided he didn't really need 500 tractors and he wanted $28 million. Um, That deal didn't work out either because it took until December of 1962, so a full year and a half later, to hammer out a deal. The surviving POWs were returned to U.S. custody in exchange for $53 million worth of food and medicine. So not only... Was the Bay of Pigs invasion a huge failure, but it solidified Fidel Castro's role as a powerful leader in his constituents' eyes, and it helped to strengthen Cuba's relationship with the Soviet Union, which was the exact opposite of what Kennedy and the CIA were going for. Nine years later, April 17th made history for another failed government mission, although this one got a happy ending, sort of. Apollo 13 was NASA's third manned mission to the moon. On April 11, 1970, a three-man crew boarded the spacecraft Odyssey at Kennedy Space Station in Cape Canaveral, Florida, and set sail for the moon. To the moon. Their mission was to demonstrate precise lunar landing and explore specific sites on the moon. So if the first visit was, look, we can send a man to the moon, and the second was just kind of a look, we can do it again. The third trip was a full-on flex. We can land where we want to, when we want to. We can start collecting specimens and analyzing data. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. I know some of you are probably cringing right now, but um, this is the space exploration for dummies version. The dummy being me, of course. I don't know a lot about spacecrafts, but what the movies have taught me is this liftoff and re-entry are the most dangerous parts. And liftoff went just fine. Well, almost. There was one little blip. One of the engines on board shut itself down about two minutes before it was done doing its job, which resulted in a tense few moments, um, but then everything worked itself out and it was okay. Later inspections would reveal that the entire engine had been just a cycle away from catastrophic failure. So, The craft almost blew up right at the beginning, and they didn't realize it until way later. So the crew compensated for the malfunction with the tools they had on board, and they got everything back on track, and they settled in for their three-day trip to the moon. But on April 15th, which is just a shit day in American history, as we've already discussed, uh, an oxygen tank exploded on board, causing all kinds of trouble. Oxygen is life. The crew needed it to breathe in the oxygenless atmosphere, and the ship needed it to power its electricity. I'm not going to even begin to try to explain the specifics of what happened because I will just embarrass myself. Which is it's actually really sad because I went to the Kennedy Space Station and I sat through an entire presentation on Apollo 13 including a reenactment of the liftoff, and I still don't understand what fucking happened. But there are lots of movies about it, if you're curious, including the aptly named Apollo 13, starring Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Gary Sinise, and my buddy Bill Paxton, who I love and miss, tragically. Basically, uh, it was a very tense and dangerous situation on board. The astronauts had to rebuild the guts of the ship with guidance from NASA engineers on the ground to save enough oxygen and energy to get back home. Uh, And they barely pulled it off. So basically, they didn't know how to fix this ship. That wasn't their job. The engineers couldn't see what they were working with, so they had to kind of tell them what had happened. The engineers down on land had to rebuild and reconfigure, and they basically had to make a dummy version of the ship and actually make these changes to see if they would work and then tell the crew how to do it themselves up in space as they were running out of oxygen and power. So it was just a bad, bad situation all around, which you know if you've seen the movie. Instead of landing on the moon, the astronauts took advantage of its magnetic pull and kind of like slingshotted around it So they got to see the moon out the windows of Odyssey as they passed it, but they didn't get to walk on the moon like they all wanted to do. On April 17th, the damaged spacecraft prepared for re-entry. It would land in the South Pacific Ocean with crews standing by to assist and get everybody out of the sinking spaceship. I keep calling it a spaceship, and it's not a spaceship. It's a spacecraft. Re-entry of a spacecraft into Earth's atmosphere causes a communications blackout that typically lasts about four minutes, so they expected to lose contact with the ship, but as minute five and then minute six approached, NASA officials began to worry that Odyssey had burned up upon re-entry. It was pretty damaged at this point, it had been through a lot, and re-entry is dangerous even for an undamaged craft, but... Just after the six-minute mark, the radio crackled back to life as Odyssey splashed into the ocean. All of the astronauts survived the ordeal, and they were coined national heroes, but none of them ever flew in space again. So April 17th, we've got the failed Bay of Pigs invasion and the successful landing of the failed Apollo 13 mission. So April 17th is all about government failures. April 18th was also not a good day in American history, because if it was, we would not be talking about it today. April 18th, 1906 was the Great San Francisco Earthquake. At 5.12 a.m. that morning, that was a little redundant, 5.12 a.m. in the morning, a 7.9 magnitude earthquake struck on the coast of Northern California. There was a foreshock about 25 seconds before the big one, and of course, there were aftershocks for days, but the main event only lasted about 42 seconds. In that 42 seconds, over 80% of the city of San Francisco was destroyed. Fires broke out everywhere, buildings collapsed, somewhere between 700 and 3,000 people were killed. That's a big fucking gap, but the reason for that is at the time they said 700, now based on, you know, they were just basing it on people that were documented, but there were so many undocumented people living in the area that now that more historical research has been done, the number's probably closer to the 3,000. Hundreds of thousands of people were left homeless. The damage in today's money would be about $400 billion, and, And the Great San Francisco Earthquake remains the deadliest earthquake in U.S. history. 77 years later, on April 18, 1983, a Chevy pickup truck containing 2,000 pounds of explosives crashed through the gates at the U.S. Embassy building in Beirut, Lebanon, slammed into the building near the lobby, and exploded, killing 63 people. 32 Lebanese nationals, 17 Americans, and 14 visitors and passers-by. Most of the victims were either employees of the building or employees of the U.S. government, you know, soldiers, Marines, CIA operatives. The attack was retribution for the unwanted U.S. presence in Lebanon and was actually the beginning of Islamist attacks on U.S. targets, which, as we all know, did not, has not had, a happy ending at all. But wait, it gets worse. Time to discuss the atrocities of April 19th. On April 19th, 1993, the government siege on the Branch Davidian Complex in Waco, Texas, came to a fiery end, resulting in the deaths of 76 people, most of them women and children. Now, I remember Waco... I was 13. I remember watching the coverage on the news. The standoff lasted almost two months, so it dominated the news programs. What I remember and what I have learned since are two very different things. So the Branch Davidians were an extremist religious sect, a spin-off of the Seventh-day Adventists. The group formed in the 1950s after their plans to reform the SDA church were rejected for being wackadoodle. Uh, they built a compound in Waco that they dubbed Mount Carmel and they called, I don't know if they call it Carmel or Carmel. I'm just going to call it Mount Carmel to make it sound dumb because it was dumb. Um, and they called for followers to come to them to hear their message at Mount Carmel as cults do. In 1981, a young man from Houston named Vernon Howell went to Mount Carmel to study biblical prophecy. He wound up taking over the cult changing his name to David Koresh, marrying and fathering children with a bunch of teenagers, and by the early 1990s, the Branch Davidians were a full-blown cult with 130 members living at the Mount Carmel compound. I really think it's Carmel. I'm still going to call it Carmel, though. On February 28, 1993, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosive —explosives, not just one— Uh, more simply referred to as the ATF, attempted a raid on Mount Carmel in order to execute a search warrant. They believed that David Koresh and his cult were in possession of illegal firearms. And they also wanted to talk to Koresh about the whole raping children thing, but mostly they wanted the weapons. To this day, both the surviving Branch Davidians and law enforcement officials on scene claim that the other side fired first— But somebody fired a shot and a full-on shootout occurred, resulting in the deaths of five ATF agents and five Branch Davidians. Following that, a tense 51-day standoff ensued. 51 days of the Branch Davidians refusing to turn over their leader or leave their home, 51 days of federal agents surrounding the compound using every tactic they could think of to try to get the cult to surrender all while film crews were rolling it was a disaster most of you were there you remember not like there but you know what i mean it all came to a head on april 19th 1993 the fbi stormed the compound using tanks and military grade tear gas which was a known explosive the tanks came from all sides you know turning the walls into piles of rubble a fire broke out According to authorities at the time, the Branch Davidians started the fire, Uh, but according to the facts that have come out since, it's more likely that the tear gas that they knew was flammable started the fire. Whatever the case, there was a fire, a big one, and between the smoke and the tear gas and the collapsed walls and the rubble, it became almost impossible for anyone to escape even if they wanted to. So... 76 of the 85 people inside Mount Carmel when it caught fire died, including David Koresh, which is fine, but more importantly, 26 children, which is not fine, not cool at all. I was 13 when this happened, like I said, and I remember very clearly the Branch Davidians being portrayed as an evil cult that must be destroyed at all costs. But things were much more complex than that. They always are, right? Right. David Koresh was a piece of shit. Sure, he was a sociopathic manipulator and a child rapist, among other things, but was killing 75 other people? Worth getting that one? If you have not watched the miniseries that came out a few years ago, um, I'm pretty sure it's just called Waco, you have to. It's pretty eye-opening. The next tragic event to occur on April 19th was no coincidence. The date was chosen purposefully because of what happened in Waco. On the two-year anniversary of the tragic ending to the Branch Davidian siege, April 19th, 1995, a faction of domestic terrorists led by 27-year-old Army veteran Timothy McVeigh sought attribution for the deaths at Waco in horrific fashion. Just before 9 a.m. that morning, McVeigh parked a rented rider-moving truck loaded with explosives in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. He chose the Murrah Building because it housed 14 government agencies, including the ones on the top of his kill list, the ATF and the DEA. McVeigh exited the truck, which was full of anti-government propaganda in addition to the explosives, and at 9.02 a.m., he detonated the bomb. One-third of the nine-story building was destroyed instantly, and it was not, like, one end of the building. He parted right in the middle, so, it, like, the whole middle of the building got scooped out, basically. This resulted in 168 deaths and close to 700 injuries. 19 of those killed were children attending the daycare for government employees that was housed inside the building. So... McVeigh's answer to the government killing dozens of children in Waco was to kill dozens of government employees' children. Asshole. Timothy McVeigh was apprehended just 90 minutes later. He was driving without a license plate. His pickup truck was full of illegal weapons, so he was arrested on the spot. His primary accomplice was an old army buddy by the name of Terry Nichols, who was also taken into custody fairly quickly. Both men were convicted of a billion charges, and McVeigh was executed on June 11, 2001, while Terry Nichols was sentenced to 169 consecutive life sentences, so a bajillion years. The Oklahoma City bombing remains the deadliest incident of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. Are you guys as depressed as I am right now? Because this is some heavy shit. Well, hold your horses because it's time for the grand finale. But before we get into that, I want to talk about something that makes me happy when I'm depressed. Food. I love food, but I hate to cook. My least favorite part of the process is the prep work. Going to the store and buying all the ingredients, then coming home only to realize I forgot something and having to go back to the store... Or trying out a new recipe that could be hit or miss, I've got a big family to feed, so if the recipe is no good, that's a huge waste of time and money. This is why I love Every Plate, America's best value meal kit that takes the work and the guesswork out of delicious home-cooked meals that the family will love with contract-free delivery to boot. Making a healthy dinner that the whole family will enjoy at the end of a long day can be a challenge for anybody. Let every plate do the heavy lifting for you. They'll do the planning and the shopping and then deliver it all right to your door. It's like having your own personal shopper, but for food. Every plate provides easy to follow recipe cards and pre portioned ingredients so you can spend less time working and more time eating. They literally couldn't make it easier without sending a private chef into your house. The best part you can try every plate for just $1.99 per meal. Yes you heard me right, $1.99 per meal. That's less than a cup of coffee, which you have time to stop and get now because you don't have to go to the grocery store. We just had the garlic rosemary chicken for dinner last night and it was so good. Everybody loved it. The chicken was moist. I'm sorry, I know a lot of people hate that word, but I just couldn't think of a better word. Uh, The veggies were fresh. It was so flavorful. Our kitchen smelled so good. I cannot wait to try the other recipes from our box. We've got sweet and tangy cherry meatballs and sriracha pork stir fry on deck. Fancy. Which, can I just tell you how nice it is just to know what our dinner options are? No more, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? That alone is worth the cost, if I'm being honest. You can try every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes, by going to everyplate.com and using promo code SODEAD199. That's everyplate.com, promo code S O D E A D199. Tell them I sent you and thank you, Everyplate, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, back to business. The last date we're going to talk about is April 20th, which The whole April curse is often drilled down to only be about April 20th because all of the terrible events associated with it, Um, but 420, that's a happy day for a lot of people, right? For like plenty of stoner reasons. Well, it's also said to be the most cursed day of the year, and the supposed reason for this curse is the very first awful April 20th event I'm going to tell you about. April 20th, 1889, was the day Adolf Hitler was born. It's theorized that the day the devil was born, an evil was unleashed on the world, and that's why every year around his birthday, and especially on his birthday, bad things happen. I don't buy into that, though, because I honestly feel like April 15th is a worse day, now that I've broken it all down. Um, But anyway, let's get into some April 20th history. On Hitler's 25th birthday, an event known as the Ludlow Massacre occurred in the Colorado Mountains. More important than the Ludlow Massacre occurring on Hitler's birthday is its proximity to another similar and similarly deadly event. The Ludlow Massacre occurred less than four months after the Italian Hall Massacre in Calumet, Michigan, which I told you about way back in season one episode 45, I think? I know it was the last episode of that year. So if you feel like I've told you this one before as I'm talking about it, it's because I kind of have, but unfortunately, history repeated itself as it often does. Just like the Italian Hall Massacre, the Ludlow Massacre was the result of a dispute between striking coal miners and the companies they rebelled against. When the United Mine Workers of America called a strike in September 1913, All mine employees that lived in company housing, which was pretty much all of them, were required to get the fuck out. The Colorado miners and their families moved to a tent city in Ludlow that was built by the union on land that they had leased in preparation for the strike. So they knew this was going to happen. Once they go on strike, the mine's going to kick everybody out, so we need somewhere for them to go. And this is where they had for them to go. Close to 1,200 miners and their families, so that's like probably closer to like 3,600 people, right? If he's got like a wife and a kid, Um, and some of them probably had more than one kid. Anyway, lots of people, thousands of people lived in this tent colony. Even after the strike-related tragedy at the Italian Hall in Calumet on Christmas Eve 1913, the strike raged on in other parts of the country and by the following spring the coal companies were over it but in colorado they didn't go about breaking up the strike in an underhanded way like what happened here in michigan the colorado national guard and the strike breakers employed by colorado fuel and iron sorry i said that weird but i could feel myself <laughs> I could feel myself about to misspeak, and I tried to stop it by going really slow, and now it's just awkward. Let's start that sentence again. The Colorado National Guard and the strike breakers employed by Colorado Fuel and Iron attacked the Ludlow Tent Colony in broad daylight. Using machine guns, they began firing upon the miners and their families in broad daylight. The miners fought back or tried to, but they were outgunned and outmanned, and by that evening, their city had been burned and looted. Twenty people, over half of them children, were killed in the Ludlow Massacre, so children were the biggest victims, just like with the Italian Hall disaster. The company responsible for the massacre, CFI, was owned by John D. Rockefeller. Yes, as in New York City's Rockefeller Center, that asshole. Exactly 85 years later, another bloody massacre occurred in Colorado. Dozens of children were once again killed by gun violence. But this one, I know you've heard about. Just after 11 a.m. on April 20th, 1999, Columbine High School seniors Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris executed a deadly plan that was a year in the making. With guns and bombs, they ambushed their fellow students in the middle of a school day killing 13 and wounding 24 others. The teenagers then took their own lives in the school's library as authorities and news crews surrounded the building. At the time, it was the worst school shooting in American history, and it remains the most notorious. No definitive motive for the attack was ever determined, but both boys had a fascination with guns and violence. Dylan Klebold was depressive and suicidal, while Eric Harris was psychopathic and homicidal, and that was a dangerous combination. Columbine wasn't supposed to be the worst school shooting in American history. It was supposed to be the deadliest attack in U.S. history. Period. Uh, They had planted bombs in and around the school, and if wired properly, those would have gotten them to that goal. They had enough explosives to blow up their entire high school and everyone in it. But they wired the timing devices improperly, and they never detonated. Because the attack occurred on Hitler's birthday, it's been theorized that they fashioned themselves Nazis and they chose the date on purpose. While they were said to be admirers of Adolf Hitler. Um, so that makes them fucking racist, right? White supremacists, mini Nazis. The massacre was actually planned for the day before on April 19th. And they chose that date because it was the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, which their attack was supposed to eclipse. But then they had to reschedule. I read somewhere um, that one of the deals that they'd made to purchase the guns they used fell through or ran behind schedule uh, but then when I went to look for that information again to verify and get the details, I couldn't find it. So I'm not entirely sure if that's why they pushed it back a day, but I did read that. some thats That's what the internet told me, so it must be true, right? So, the Oklahoma City bombing was retaliation for Waco. The Columbine shooting was meant to eclipse the Oklahoma City bombing. And the Virginia Tech massacre was meant to mimic Columbine. And all of these events happened during the same week in April, just different years. Wild. Wild, I say. And I still have one more awful April event for you. April 20th, 2010 was the start of an environmental disaster now referred to as Deepwater Horizon. But before it was a deadly disaster or an action movie starring Mark Wahlberg... Deepwater Horizon was an ultra-deep water, dynamically positioned, semi-submersible offshore drilling rig. That's just a fancy way of saying that it was a ginormous oil rig out in the ocean that cost over half a billion dollars. In April 2010, Deepwater Horizon was stationed at a drilling site in the Gulf of Mexico about 41 miles from the southeast coast of Louisiana. They were drilling a well into the ocean floor for BP Oil Company. Which, drilling a well into the ocean floor sounds like a bad plan to me. Like, do you want prehistoric sea monsters? Because that's how you get prehistoric sea monsters. But what do I know? There were 126 crew members aboard when an explosion occurred at 7.45 p.m. on the 20th of April. So, something went wrong. All of a sudden, there is a geyser of ocean water coming up through the main riser, so the well they're digging down now has ocean water shooting up through it. The rig is filling with methane gas. Fires are starting. So Deepwater Horizon is simultaneously exploding, sinking, and just dumping oil into the Gulf of Mexico. How much oil? 134 million gallons. It took BP three months to finally and successfully cap the ruptured underwater sea well, so not not an easy task, I guess. Uh, Deepwater Horizon is the largest accidental oil spill in world history. Not just American history, world history. How long did it take to clean up? I'll let you know when they're done because cleanup is still ongoing, but At its peak in the summer of 2010, there were nearly 50,000 people working on the cleanup. As of 2018, BP estimated that the spill had cost them nearly $65 billion in cleanup and legal fees. Because not only did the Deepwater Horizon explosion destroy the Atlantic Ocean, but it killed 11 crew members and injured 17 others. (sighs) That, my friends, is all of the awful that I have for you today. But Jen, where are the Michigan connections you promised us, right? I already mentioned a couple, but I'm going to run down the list real quick in the same order that I covered the stories. The Lincoln assassination. A man named Lafayette Baker led the investigation into the assassination for the Secret Service, Lafayette Baker was from Lansing, Michigan. His cousin, Luther Baker, also from Lansing, joined the search for John Wilkes Booth as a detective and was present when Booth was captured and killed. And the theater chair that Lincoln was sitting in when he was shot is on display at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan, where it has been since about the 1980s. Titanic already did that one. Not doing it again. Go listen to episode 50. There's a ton of stories about Titanic passengers that were either from or bound for Michigan. The Great Mississippi River flood. I'm sure considering how many people died that some of them had connections to Michigan, but what I was able to find was that of the three quarters of a million people that were left homeless by the flood, many of them wound up migrating to and building new lives in Detroit. The Boston Marathon bombing, Google failed me pretty hard on this one, but I was able to find interviews with a couple of runners from Michigan that were at the marathon and witnessed the bombing and thankfully were uninjured. I just feel like I remember a story about someone from Michigan, maybe even Lansing or the Lansing area, being killed or severely injured in the bombing, but I couldn't find it anywhere. The Notre Dame Cathedral fire happened in Paris. Let's move on. A port of Texas City explosion, with over five hundred people killed and thousands injured. There have to be some Michigan connections, but again, I couldn't find any. The Virginia Tech school shooting, aside from that weird connection to the Bath School massacre, where Cho used Andrew Kehoe saying, "Criminals are made, not born." I didn't find anything. Bay of Pigs invasion, didn't find any Michigan connections. Apollo thirteen. Many a NASA employee has Michigan ties, as the University of Michigan has a strong aeronautical engineering program. None of the astronauts that were on the Apollo 13 mission had Michigan ties that I could find, but some of the engineers that came up with the solutions that ultimately kept the mission from becoming fatal were University of Michigan grads. So there's that. The San Francisco earthquake, again, I did not find any Michigan ties, but with over 3,000 deaths, I guarantee you that there are some. The U.S. embassy bombing in Beirut, didn't find any Michigan connections. Waco, the biggest Michigan connection I found was a family that I'm not going to name, even though they're named in all of the articles I found about them, I'm not going to say their names, so... This couple had a daughter. Um, They got divorced. The mom moved to Texas, joined the Branch Davidians. Dad stayed here in Michigan, did not join a cult, as it turns out. So he filed for custody of his daughter. He won. He not only won custody, full custody, but an order was put in place to where the mom couldn't even contact her daughter. Um, So the daughter came back to South Michigan, where she grew up, went to school, put her life back together. The mom stayed with the Branch Davidians, and she was killed in the Waco siege. Um, The daughter later testified at a hearing about being sexually assaulted by David Koresh when she was 10 years old, which is why I did not share her name. The Oklahoma City bombing. Timothy McVeigh's accomplice, Terry Nichols, was from Michigan, Lapeer, actually, and he had ties to the Michigan militia. I actually remember a good part of the investigation being focused on the Michigan militia. So that was crazy. Hitler was Germany's problem. The Ludlow massacre, uh, aside from the fact that it was basically a repeat of Michigan's Italian hall massacre. I didn't find anything there. Columbine, Eric Harris believed to be the brains behind the operation. Essentially. Uh, He lived in Osco Michigan before he moved to Colorado and met Dylan Klebold. Uh, Eric's dad was in the air force And there used to be an Air Force base in Oscoda, which we talked about in last year's Halloween episode, Gone Girls. I think it's episode 60, maybe? Maybe? Uh, Researching that episode was actually where I learned about Columbine's Michigan connection. I had no idea. The Harris family lived in Oscoda only from about, like, 1989 to 1992-ish, so a few years, not very long at all, fortunately. And lastly, the Deepwater Horizon, I did not find any Michigan connections there. So, today's episode was a lot. We covered a lot of history. And please keep in mind, all of that history fits into a six-day span on your April calendar. Less than a week. Is it a curse? I don't know, but it's fucking something. Uh, There are those who argue that you could pick any span of dates and find a ton of tragedies to match them up with and that there's nothing special about this third week in April, disagree i disagree 100 percent. but i definitely like i invite you to try please try to prove me wrong i'd be super super interested to find a worse week in american history tragedy death murder massacres they happen all day every day unfortunately but seriously find me another week in american history with that much tragedy all at once and I'm not talking obscure events that nobody's ever heard of. I'm talking the big ones, the ones that people know just by their name. Lincoln, Titanic, Virginia Tech, Bay of Pigs, Apollo 13, Waco, Oklahoma City bombing, Hitler, Columbine, Deepwater Horizon, or how about by their historical importance? World's most infamous shipwreck, America's greatest peacetime disaster, Worst industrial disaster in American history. Worst school shooting in American history. Deadliest earthquake in American history. Deadliest domestic terrorism incident in American history. Worst accidental oil spill in world history. I just, like, I would super be interested in someone finding a deadlier week in American history and bringing it to my attention. I don't think it exists. They don't call it the killing season for nothing. But I could be wrong. Anyway, that's all I've got about the Curse of April. Thank you for coming to my dead talk. And thank you once again to today's sponsors, Magic Spoon and Every Plate, for supporting the show. Even though this episode is a longer one, the individual stories are short. So I leaned pretty heavily on Wikipedia for this one. I am not going to lie to you about that. You can find a full list, though, of my resources on the SoDead website on the page for this episode. Now, it's time for some liquid cheese. You don't need it, but I'm going to add it to your roast beef sandwich anyway. That, that sounds really weird and gross taken out of context. I don't want to tell the story about how I came up with liquid cheese again. Just go back and listen to, what, episode sixty-four, second episode of this season, I think, is where we talked about where that came from. Go figure it out. This one's not super true crimey, but it's still in the dark realm, um, and it's fucking funny, and it's timely. So I'm going to tell you guys about a time I almost died. So last April, I turned 40. Ew. And prior to COVID, uh, Dax was already starting to plan like a big surprise party for me, Um, you know, whole thing. And then the pandemic hit and I struggled. I don't think I kept that a secret from you guys. I struggled real hard with the pandemic in the beginning. I still struggle real hard with it some days, but still by my birthday. So a month and a half in, I was not doing well to the point that, you know, I didn't care if there was a cake. I didn't care what we did for dinner. Didn't care, didn't care, didn't care. And... Dax asked what I wanted for my birthday, like, what do you, we're going to be trapped in this house for the next year, what do I fucking need, I don't need anything, but um, I struggle with anxiety during normal times, and 2020 was not normal times, baby, so um, I have smoked weed on and off since I was like a teenager, sorry mom, sorry grandma, but it's true, Um, here and there never, you know, not like a, a problem it didn't keep me from life but as i got older i began to recognize that it was a huge huge anxiety reliever for me i didn't realize how bad my anxiety was until um the magical thc pulled it out of me but my you know my throat always always would burn so bad and i would cough a lot even though it was something that i you know had been doing here and there on and off for years And so while my initial thing, you know, weed is legal here in Michigan now, um, my initial thing was, hey, just go get me some, get me some stuff, you know, for my birthday. Right. But then I was like, do I really want that while there's a virus going around that attacks your lungs and your throat? Do I want something that's going to inflame my lungs and my throat like I know it's going to? No, I don't. So I think maybe I'll try edibles. Right. I'll just try them, see what happens. It'll be fine. It's the same thing. It's quicker. Plus there was the thing like my kids weren't leaving, right? My kids were never leaving the house because it's a pandemic, we're all trapped here. You can't covertly smoke weed. So it just made sense. It doesn't smell. It's quick. It's not going to hurt my throat. It's not going to make me cough. It'll be fine. So that was what I asked for for my 40th birthday, and that was what I got. Was a little thing of gummy chewable edibles for my birthday. I don't remember the flavor. Something fruity. Anyway, so I read the instructions. It said to start with one. So I ate one, a whole one. Oh, my God. I literally thought I was going to die. So I waited until I was ready to go to bed. I just was like, okay, I'm going to bed early. It's my birthday. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to do this. And it's just going to help me sleep. I'm used to weed just making me tired, and it helps me sleep. <clears throat> I kid you not, I thought I was dying. I could not get my faculties about me to even text my husband downstairs to tell him to come upstairs because I thought I was dying. I kept forgetting to breathe. Not- <laughs> like. I just all of a sudden would be like, oh my God, I haven't taken a breath in like five minutes. I'm going to die. I was hallucinating and I was hallucinating in neon. I had the lights off. I should have just gotten up and turned the fucking lights on at some point, but I didn't do it. I just laid there in bed in the dark, hallucinating in neon, forgetting to breathe and waiting to die. So that's my that's how I celebrated my 40th birthday. And that is my story. <laughs> I almost died. I'm so glad I was home. I'm so glad I was home and I was in my bedroom and you know I was safe because oh my god. Uh you'll be happy to know I've gotten a handle on it since then. I'm I'm good with it. I know my limits and edibles may or may not have been on my birthday list again this year, but um yeah, that was yeah. It was funny. It was funny. I almost wish someone had been there to see it, but I'm glad that no one was. So, yeah, there's that. So, liquid cheese I'm going to post for you guys is to tell me about a time that you almost died, or tell me about your horrible experience, or wonderful, depending on how you look at it, the first time you tried edibles. This could be fun, right? We're in Michigan. It's legal. Fuck it. So, Don't forget, this is the last episode of So Dead for a Hot Minute. I am on spring break for the month of May, but I will be back on June 1st with some fresh horror. Before I go, though, I want to take a minute and thank all of the people that have left reviews on Apple Podcasts and Facebook so far this season. Reviews go a long way when it comes to ranking and visibility on Apple, so it's a fast, free way to support the show, and I appreciate it so much, especially because I've gotten some shitty ones lately. Not very many, just a few peppered here and there, but they hurt my feelings, and people suck. And the more good reviews there are to outweigh those, the better. Anyway, from Apple Podcasts, I would like to thank Preschool Teacher 517, ABS 3135, Super Troopa. Up north, up north, up north, girl. Five five nine nine. What's up, cupcake? Troll 06 Santa Cole ninety one. Majestic mom. Ejoy Williams nineteen eighty three. This is not a word. I'm just going to tell you the letters because it's not a word. I literally can't even say it. Like if I tried to say it, it would just sound like I was sneezing, and then you would think I have COVID. It's. K D K D J S I D J E J. You tell me how to pronounce that. clo Drive, G S J J eight two four, M Sullivan 3 Stephanie dot Sloane, Kelsey N Miles, K it's either K R E Dick or K Redick. I don't know. Teresa and Zach and Heather four one one. And then from Facebook, there's Megan Scott Petty, Teresa Kleba, and Jane Sika, Sika? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Jean. I said Jane. I messed up the whole name. I was so worried about the last name that I messed up the first name. Jean Sika or Sika. There we go. Sorry. If you would like a shout out on the show where I probably pronounce your name wrong, all you've got to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook only takes a minute uh yeah, so that is all I have for you today friends. please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to So Dead wherever you listen and make sure you're following So Dead on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can check out the patreon page at patreon.com slash so Dead podcast. There are tons of bonus episodes just waiting for you over there. There's also the So Dead Podcast discussion group on Facebook. That's a lot of fun. Lots of murdery conversation going on over there. I'm out of here for a bit, but new episodes will return on June 1st. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep shining, you magnificent what-the-fucks. Uh, 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 uh. So, so-